You are listening to an audio sermon of First Baptist Church of Arlington, Washington. Our mission is to know Jesus and make Him known. Thank you for joining us. Here is today's message. It's a new year. And here we are, 10 days into 2021. We're all wondering, how did we get here? And could it possibly get any worse? It appears as though the world has lost its ever-loving mind. To be honest, this week I waffled back and forth a lot over what passage to preach today. On one hand, we have gold waiting for us in Philippians 3. On the other hand, Rome is burning. And while we have already received an end-of-year message from Pastor Stephen and a New Year message from Pastor Bill, it's sufficient to say that these uncertain times require us to focus our attention on the steadfast certainties found in the Word of God. So next week, Lord willing, if a civil war doesn't break out between now and then, we will find ourselves back in Philippians. But for today, I will ask you to open your Bible and turn with me to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. It's a popular thing for people to have what they call life verses. When a particular verse pops out from the page or speaks to a specific situation in a unique and personal way, they adopt that verse and make it their life verse. When their ship sinks, that verse becomes their lifeboat. When the sirens blast, that verse becomes their shelter. Might I suggest that today's verse that we are going to look at this morning might I suggest that this verse become our life verse for 2021? That it would become our refuge in the storm, our anchor against the wind, and our hope in every hopeless situation we face this year. Today's text is 2 Thessalonians 3.16. So please follow along as I read what the Spirit of God would say to us today. He says, Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times in every way the lord be with you all i've titled this morning's message certain peace in uncertain times it's been a few years since we walked through second thessalonians together as a church so let me take a few minutes to remind you of the context surrounding this verse first of all the thessalonian church was not a bad church it was a good church. It was an excellent church. We are told at the beginning of the letter that they were a faithful church, a loving church, and an enduring church. Whereas some churches would cause Paul to shake his head, to do a face palm and wonder, guys, are you even saved? That is not this church. The Thessalonians made him proud. So much so that in verse 4 of chapter 1, he, he says that he brags about them to other churches. That had to make them feel good knowing that the Apostle Paul is out there bragging about your church, telling other churches, why can't you be more like them? Why can't you be more like the church in Thessalonica? Their love for each other is evident. It is abounding. It is overflowing from a collective heart full of love. They are steadfast. They are growing in their faith and their knowledge of Scripture, and they are holding firm to that faith despite intense persecution. 
The Thessalonian church was a good, rock-solid church, but they were also a suffering church to the point where they wrongly believed that they had missed the rapture and that somehow they had found themselves knee-deep in the tribulation. Imagine suffering so greatly that the only logical explanation is that you have found yourself somehow placed smack dab in the middle section of Revelation. That's where these poor people were. They needed a theological equivalent of a, of a warm hug. They needed comfort and encouragement. And so the Apostle Paul does just that. He writes them this letter. And he follows a pattern all throughout his writing of this letter. He, he does the same three things over and over and over again. He comforts them, he corrects them, and he prays for them. He keeps doing that. He, he comforts them, he corrects them, and he prays for them. In chapter 1, he comforts them with the return of Christ and the coming judgment. That's good news for believers, bad news for unbelievers. It's good news for us because our God is a righteous judge, and he has promised to repay affliction to those who afflict us. We see that in chapter 1. It's bad news for the wicked because in the end, they will get what they deserve. They will get everything that is coming to them. That is why we, are, as believers in Christ, are so thankful for grace, because we will not get what we deserve. We all deserve hell. I deserve hell. But because of the sacrifice of Christ on the cross, we don't get what we deserve. The rest of the world, not so much. Not so much. Paul reminds us that our suffering is not only temporary, but will one day result in ultimate justice and ultimate glory. He then closes the chapter with verses 11 and 12, and I love these verses so much. He says, To this end we always pray for you, that our God may make you worthy of his calling, and may fulfill every resolve for good, and every work of faith by his power, so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you, and you in him, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ." So he comforts them, and then he prays for them. He does the same thing in chapter 2. False teachers had come along and had confused them. Again, they thought they had missed the rapture, so Paul comforts them by correcting their eschatology and closing the chapter with another phenomenal prayer. He then opens chapter 3 with a brief prayer request, and before turning around and, and correcting them, he can't help himself but say, I want you to pray for me. Oh, hey, by the way, here's how I am praying for you. And he prays for them. He prays for them anyway. He then encourages hard work and discourages laziness with church discipline. Again, more comfort, more correction. And that brings us here to the end of chapter 3 and the end of the letter. And what do we see Paul doing? He's praying. He's praying. He can't help himself but pray for this precious church. He told them in chapter 1 that he prays for them constantly. And he proves that by closing each section throughout this letter with a prayer. Over and over and over again, he's praying for them. How else could he possibly conclude the letter? And that's what we have here in the last three verses. Now let me say a few words about this prayerful benediction before we zero in on our one verse, verse 16. This particular prayer that we see here at the end is what pastors and theologians like to call a wish prayer, a wish prayer. 
because it conveys the apostles' desire or wish for them and, and what he would like to see God accomplish in their lives. And he wants to see three things happen, to the, happen for them. Here are Paul's last wishes for the Thessalonians and the Spirit's desire for us as well. First of all, he wants us to have peace. He wants us to have peace. That much is obvious from verse 16. He says, Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times in every way. The Lord be with you all. He says, At all times in every way, I want you to have the peace that comes from the Lord of peace. That is the first wish of this prayer. Next, he wants you to have confidence. He wants you to have confidence. Look at verse 17. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. This is the sign of genuineness in every letter of mine. It is the way I write. Earlier in chapter 2, verse 2, Paul implied that scoundrels have been caught writing letters in his name. These imposters were giving their hurtful doctrines a boost by saying that their bad ideas came with apostolic authority. They said, the Apostle Paul wrote this. Oh, hey, here's a letter that I received from the Apostle Paul. Look, it's signed by him. Or look, this certainly came from him. I know it did, but it really didn't. Imagine how Paul must have felt to have these hurtful, harmful letters floating around to all of the churches with his name on them. He had to address the problem, and so he does. Paul would often dictate his letters. So here, as he wraps things up, he literally grabs the pen from the stenographer's hand, and he says, I'm going to write this last part myself. I want you to know that this letter came from me. I want you to be confident that what you have just read, it is the very word of God. There is apostolic authority behind these words, and you are obligated to obey these clear commands of Scripture. And so he includes this desire for confidence at the very end. And then finally, he wishes that they would have grace. Look at verse 18. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Grace is that unmerited favor from the Lord. It is that undeserved extension of goodness and love. It is the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that saves us and enables us to live and serve Him. These are great wishes. This is a tremendous prayer, a wonderful prayer, for them to know peace, to know confidence, and to know grace. I wonder, when was the last time you prayed for someone else to have these things? Or, or if you're like me, most of us, we probably need to pray these things for ourselves first before we go off and start praying them for other people. So ask yourself, when was the last time that I cried out to the Lord and said, my God, my God, you are the Lord of peace. Would you give me peace? Would you give me confidence in your word? Would you give me more of your grace? Remember the Holy Spirit-inspired prayers that we see here in the Bible. They are the best prayers that we have. And these are excellent requests that you would know peace, confidence, and grace. It's that first request of verse 16, to know peace, that we will focus on today. In the middle of all that persecution and affliction and confusion, Paul knew that what this church needed the most was peace. And peace is exactly what we need today. Let me ask you a quick question, show of hands. Is there anyone here who desires to be more anxious? 
Anyone? Anyone here desire to be more worried about what might happen next? Of course not. Of course not. We all want peace. So how do we get it? How do we get real peace? And what does that even look like? I want to give you five truths about peace as we dive into verse 16. Five comforting truths about peace that will strengthen your heart and lift your soul as only the Word of God can do. So let's take a closer look at this remarkable verse, 2 Thessalonians 3.16. The first thing we should notice is the cause of peace. The cause of peace. Look at those opening words. Now may the Lord of peace himself, the Lord of peace himself, emphasis on that pronoun, himself. Right out of the gate, Paul begins his prayer by saying that God is a God of peace himself. He is the cause of peace. He is the originator of peace. He is the source of peace. Why? Because he is the Lord of peace. Now the question arises, which member of the Trinity are we talking about here? Are we talking about God the Father, God the Son, or God the Spirit? And the answer to that question is yes. Yes, we most certainly are. Because all three members of the Trinity work together to establish peace. According to chapter 1, verse 2, God the Father provides peace. Paul says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Likewise, according to Galatians 5, the Holy Spirit provides peace. Romans 14, 17 also says, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. And the same can certainly be said of the Son. Ephesians 2.14 declares, For he himself is our peace, speaking of Jesus. And Colossians 1.20 tells us that he has made peace by the blood of his cross. All three members of the Godhead work together to establish peace, provide peace, and supply peace. But specifically here in verse 16, the Lord refers to Christ, refers to Christ himself, that much is obvious because he is referred to as our Lord Jesus Christ in verse 6 and the Lord Jesus Christ in verse 12 and again in verse 18, our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul has Jesus on the mind. Isaiah 9, 6 refers to him as our Prince of Peace. In John 14, he is the giver of peace. Make no mistake, our Lord Jesus Christ is himself the Lord of peace, meaning that he is never anxious, he is never worried, he is never nervous, concerned, restless, fearful, frightened, apprehensive, impatient, scared, uneasy, or afraid. Never. You will never find a story in the Bible where Jesus displays those traits. And just as a side note, that is one of the reasons why I personally am not a big fan of made-for-TV movies concerning the life of Christ. Personally. Because I have yet to find one that doesn't depict Jesus at some point as being fearful, fretful, apprehensive, impatient, scared, frightened, restless, concerned, any of these things. That is not our Savior. Jesus does not display those traits. You will be hard-pressed to find a verse that says, and then Jesus panicked. Or, and Jesus nervously said to them, I hope so. 
you're never going to find that verse anywhere in the Bible because peace is a divine attribute. It is a divine attribute. It's right up there with holiness, faithfulness, and love. Peace is just who God is. Gideon got this. Even in the Old Testament, Judges 6.24 says, Then Gideon built an altar there to the Lord. And what did he call it? He called it, The Lord is Peace. The Lord is Peace. He is the Lord of Peace because the Lord is Peace. Where else can the supremely powerful, overwhelmingly divine, transcendent, heavenly superior peace come from? But from the Lord of Peace Himself. He is the very cause of peace. And this theme runs all throughout the New Testament. For instance, Romans 15.33 says, May the God of peace be with you all. Amen. Romans 16.20, The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. 1 Corinthians 14.33, For God is not a God of confusion, but a God of what? Peace. Do you see the picture here? Peace comes from God. Because peace is of God, and God is a God of peace. 2 Corinthians 13, 11, Finally, brothers, rejoice. Aim for restoration. Comfort one another. Agree with one another. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. Philippians 4, 9, that we just read a little while ago. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. And the God of peace will be with you. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And even the writer of Hebrews in chapter 13, verse 20 says, Now may the God of peace. Friends, we could go on over and over and over again throughout the scriptures. God is referred to as the God or the Lord of peace. Because he is sovereign, nothing surprises him. Because he is all-powerful, nothing scares him. And because he is self-sufficient, nothing threatens him. He is the cause of peace. Because he is peace. There is no need for God to ever be squeamish or afraid. He is the cause of peace. That is comforting truth Number one. Number two, we see the charity of peace. The charity of peace. He says, now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace. Give you peace. Peace is a gift, and it comes from the Lord himself. It is his gift to give, and he is the one who personally delivers it to us. I love that. I am so thankful that we have a God who gives us this peace from himself. God doesn't send his angel of peace. He doesn't send his minister or messenger of peace. He sends himself, and he brings with himself perfect peace. This is a tremendous gift. And once again, I'm afraid we might easily overlook this divine benefit because it is mentioned so frequently all throughout the New Testament. In Romans 15, 13, Paul prayed, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace. This is something that God does. 
Ephesians 6.23 says, Peace be to the brothers, and love from faith, or love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This peace is a gift that comes from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Himself. Now, this gift of God's charity, this peace, it manifests itself in two ways. In two ways. There are two types of peace that God gives. The first is positional peace. Positional peace. This this piece is spoken of directly in Romans 5.1, where Paul writes, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. This positional peace acts as a ceasefire agreement between you and God. Before you came to saving faith in Christ, you were God's enemy. You were not neutral. You were not just sort of floating around under the radar. You were his enemy not his friend. A few verses later, Romans 5.10 says, For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. The main thing is that God established peace, right? He established peace so that by believing and trusting in him alone for salvation, we might be saved. This is the first type of peace, this positional peace, this reconciliation peace, the kind that changes our standing before a holy God. The second peace is a supernatural peace. It is a spiritual peace. It is this resolute calm that is deeply grounded in an unshakable confidence that God is in control. But you can't have this supernatural peace if you don't first have positional peace with God. You can't have the second piece if you don't have the first. Isaiah 48, 22 declares, There is no peace, says the Lord for the wicked. And just in case we miss it the first time, he says it again. In Isaiah 57, 21, There is no peace, says my God, for the wicked. I mean, how plain can you get? How obvious can it be? For the wicked, there is no peace, none. And we see that, don't we? We look around the world today, And we can easily echo these words from Isaiah, there is no peace for the wicked. Sure, an unbeliever might experience temporary moments of serenity and tranquility, but there's no peace, no real lasting supernatural peace for those who prefer their sin above God. They don't have it. Because friends, spiritual peace is a gift that comes from the Lord of peace. We don't earn it. We don't fight for it. We don't perform for it. We receive it because the Lord of peace gives it to us. This supernatural peace is described all throughout the Bible. Philippians 4, 7 refers to it as the peace of God which surpasses all understanding that will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. 2 Peter 3.14 says to be diligent, to be found in him, by him, without spot or blemish, and at peace. Beloved, this is one gift that you do not want to miss out on. As the Lord of peace himself gives out the gift of peace, you don't want to be the one standing there with his arms crossed. You don't want to be the one who says, no thank you, Lord, I would much rather focus on my trouble. I would much rather live over here on shaky ground. You don't want to be that person. You want to embrace this peace. You want to hold on to it with both hands. You don't want to be so caught up in the chaos and the noise and the darkness around you 
that you miss out on the gift of true spiritual peace. Here soon we're going to find ourselves in Philippians 4, I promise, where we are told to rejoice always and pray about everything with urgency and thankfulness. If we do that, we are told that the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. Likewise, we're told that if we think about whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, anything excellent and anything worthy of praise, if we think about these things and then we put them into practice, then we are told that the God of peace would be with us. Christian, don't you want the God of peace, to give you his peace. Don't you want it? Then stop thinking about whatever is false. Stop thinking about whatever is dishonorable, whatever is unjust, whatever is impure, whatever is unlovely or shameful, anything inferior and anything unworthy of praise. If you want the peace of God that surpasses all understanding, that will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus, then stop complaining and start rejoicing. That's the key. Stop complaining and start rejoicing. Turn off the news and instead turn to the Lord in prayer. And He will give you this incredible gift. He will take that that nervousness, that anxiety, that anguish in your soul, and he will quiet it. He will give you a peace that surpasses understanding, a peace that is so hard for us to wrap our minds around, for us to understand, especially when we're in the middle of the storm. But God is here, and he is the giver, and he has offered it freely, this gift It's up to us. What are we going to focus on? What are we going to invest ourselves into? God has made it perfectly clear. We need to turn to him. We need to receive this incredible gift. That's truth number two. Number three, we see the certainty of peace. The certainty of peace. He says at all times, at all times, So when is this peace available? At all times. And the biblical writers of the New Testament make it very clear that they want you to have this peace. Go ahead and turn with me to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. I want to take you on a short trip and show you something that I think is truly remarkable here within Scripture. We're going to look at the introductions to several New Testament letters. And you tell me if you see a pattern if a pattern emerges from all of this, starting in Romans chapter 1, verse 7, and we're going to move quickly. The good news is we're going from left to right, so we're not hopping all over the Bible, but we're going to start here in Romans 1, verse 7. To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Flip over to 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. The next letter in line, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians, 
2 Corinthians chapter 1. Look at verse 2. He says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Flip over to Galatians, the next book in line. Galatians chapter 1, verse 3. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 2. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Go ahead and flip over to the next one, Philippians, our current book. Chapter 1, verse 2. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. At this point, Paul is just plagiarizing himself. Colossians, chapter 1, verse 2. To the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. 1 Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. He says, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. 2 Thessalonians. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 2. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 2. To Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus, or in Jesus Christ our Lord. 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 2. To Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Titus, why stop now? Titus chapter 1, verse 4. To Titus, my true child in a common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. And then Philemon, just to round things out here for Paul. Philemon, look at verse 3. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. All 13 of Paul's epistles begin with his desire for you, the Christian reader, to have peace. And he's not the only one. 1 Peter, 2 Peter, 2 John, 3 John, Jude, and Revelation. These all begin with the same desire as well. Of the 27 New Testament books, Gospels and Acts included, 19 of them begin with the phrase, peace to you. Peace to you. It's like the Bible's trying to tell us something. But that's looking only at the introductions. Look at the very end of Galatians chapter 6, verse 16. There Paul writes, And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them. And at the end of Ephesians, Ephesians 6, 23, peace be to the brothers. And again, Philippians 4, verse 9, as we have seen already, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. And again, at the end of 1 Thessalonians, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. 1 Peter 5, 14, peace to all of you who are in Christ. So much of the New Testament's teaching is found between these two bookends of peace. These letters begin with peace and they end with peace. Why? Because we need peace. We need peace. The peace that can only come from the God of peace, who is always willing to give us peace 
because through him, peace is always available. It is always available. And you say, that's great, Hans, but I'm a believer. I'm a Christian, and I don't have peace, not all the time. It's a new year, and I've already lost it. Believe me, I can relate to that. I really can. So why? Why don't we experience peace at all times? Well, when you take into account all of the scripture that we have already looked at, the answer should be obvious. The problem is not with the gift or the giver. The problem is with us. So when do we lose our peace? How do we lose it? How about when we lose our focus on Christ and we look to the world? Like Peter walking on the waves, when we divert our eyes from Christ to the frightening storms of life that are crashing all around us, we sink. How about when we love our sin more than we love Christ? Isaiah 59 tells us that our sin can cause a separation between us and the God that we love. God does not withdraw himself from us, but friend, we can most certainly withdraw ourselves from him. But here's the good news. The good news is that his peace is always available. It is solid, steadfast, and certain. It is available at all times. He never closes himself off to us. He never withdraws his peace from us and says, that's it, enough. You have exhausted your limit for the week. No, his peace is always available in abundance. He will give you his peace if you but take your eyes off of this wicked world and look to Jesus. He will give you his peace if you but confess your sin, repent of it, deny yourself, pick up your cross and follow him. It doesn't matter how long it's been. It doesn't matter how far you've fallen. It doesn't matter how bad you feel. If you want peace, you can be certain, certain that peace is always readily available all of the time. That's number three, the certainty of peace. Number four, the capacity of peace. The capacity of peace. He says, at all times, in every way. In every way. In other words, you can relax and discover true peace because God is completely in charge. God is completely in charge. He has complete control over everything. In every way, the Lord Jesus is king of your situation. Ephesians 1 verse 11 In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. What do you think all things refers to? Does it refer to your situation? Does it refer to our situation? Does it refer to our country's situation? Does it refer to the world's situation right now? Yes, it does. All things refers to all things. And our Savior is working in all of it according to the counsel of His will for our glory or for our good and His glory. All things at all times in every way means that nothing operates outside of His command. Charles Spurgeon once said, He can give peace in the bitter as well as by the sweet. Peace by the storm as well as by the calm. 
Peace by loss as well as by gain, and peace by death as well as by life. Friends, the capacity of peace is infinitely broad. Why? Because the Lord of peace, the master of peace, the giver of peace is infinitely great. Look, you can never have too much of God, and you can never have too much of God's peace. Only a big God can give big peace. Only the best God can give the best peace. I don't know about you, but I am so glad that there is absolutely nothing in this world that is too big for God. He is a God who controls all things, knows all things, and commands all things. And because of that, he is the only one who could ever possibly be at peace. He is the only one who could be at peace both with and and in himself. And to think that this God has offered that peace to you as a gift at all times and in every way. In case you haven't noticed, this peace, it goes beyond a mere feeling of calm. This peace rises higher than a fleeting emotion or a sensation of tranquility. The peace of God that is offered to you comes with power behind it. It comes with the power of God himself. Divine energy fuels this peace. It is the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. The same power that conquered death and promises you a resurrection from the dead. And there is literally nothing too oppressive for this peace. Whatever you face, God can handle it. Whatever tomorrow's news might say, God can handle it. Whatever grief comes your way, God can handle it. And even though it may not always feel like it, God is handling it with perfect peace that is always readily available to you at all times in every way. That is the capacity of peace. Lastly, I want you to see the closeness of peace. The closeness of peace. He finishes the verse saying, the Lord be with you all. Notice he says, you all. You all. That is a blanket way of saying that this gift of peace, it's not available to just a few. This is available to every believer, every Christian. There are no second-class Christians. The economy of the kingdom does not consist of the haves and the have-nots. This peace has been freely opened up with access given to every disciple of Christ. And the hope expressed here in this text is for every believer to have the Lord be with them. With them. Now, we know that the Lord is already with every believer. We know that the Lord is everywhere, right? That's one of the most fundamental, most basic doctrines of the faith, right? Where is God? Where is God? Well, he's everywhere, right? He's everywhere at the same time. So Paul is not referring to the Lord's perfection of omnipresence when he writes this, but rather the special presence that the Lord brings of himself when we are in right fellowship with him. That's what he's referring to here. Is God with every believer? Of course he is. Of course he is. Does God commune with every believer the same way, to the same degree, in the same manner? Of course not. No. Paul is simply stating his selfless desire in this wishful prayer that the Lord would be with you all, with all of you in a deep, undeniable, and personal way. And again, good news accompanies this truth. 
Simply that the Lord is near. The Lord is near. His peace is not only available at all times and in every way, but it is so close, you can taste it. As James 4, 8 encourages, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Notice that's not written to unbelievers, Christian. He is writing that to believers. And he is saying, draw near to your God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. There's a COVID-19 verse, right? Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Or Psalm 34, 18. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. The Lord of peace, our Prince of peace, friend, he is not far off. He is not sitting somewhere in the clouds. He is not not unaware of what you're going through. He is near. He is here. And he himself is ready to give you the gift of peace. What a verse. What a prayer for us to take with us into 2021. That we would know the cause of peace, the charity of peace, the certainty of peace, the capacity of peace, and the closeness of peace. Do you know what God wants this morning? Do you know what he wants, what he desires? He wants to be your God of peace. Christ wants to be the Lord of peace to you, with you. He wants to give you a supernatural peace that can only be found in a trusting and restful relationship with him. If you do not have a relationship with this Lord of peace at all today, then I would encourage you, get to know him immediately. Settle that account. The days are evil, and none of us know what tomorrow brings. None of us do. If you have not yet received this first type of peace, that positional peace with God, then you need to settle that now. You really do. Come to Jesus. Believe in your heart. Confess with your mouth. Repent of your sin. Turn away from yourself and come to the Savior. If you've been here at all, you've heard me say over and over again that Jesus declared, all that the Father gives to me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. He will never cast anyone out. So come to Jesus, and he will establish peace between you and God. Now for the Christian, the question remains, how can we as the recipients of God's grace own this peace? How can we carry it with us? How can we live in this peace? How can this wishful prayer of Paul's be fulfilled in our lives? If this is a gift that Christ himself gives at all times in every way, as he is with us, then we need to ask ourselves the question, why do I not have this peace right now? Why do I not have it? And is there anything I can do to get it? I mentioned earlier that we lose our peace when we lose our focus on Christ. And we lose our peace when we love our sin more than Christ. So how can a lost peace be restored? Let me leave you with two things you can do very quickly. Two things you can do. If you desperately want the peace of 2 Thessalonians 3.16 to remain with you through 2021 and beyond, here are two things that you can do about it. Are you ready? I know it's profoundly deep, but track with me. Focus on Christ and follow Christ. Those are the two things you can do. 
If you want to know peace, if you want to carry peace with you into this year, come what may, focus on Christ and follow Christ. That's it. Focusing on Christ means studying the Word. It means trusting in the cross. It means beholding His beauty and believing His promises. Following Christ means obeying His Word. It means fighting the flesh. It means walking in the Spirit and praying for this peace, asking for it, praying this prayer for yourself and for others. If you do these two things in abundance, focus on and follow Christ, I promise you the peace of Christ will fill your heart to the full, to overflowing. And you will know what it means to have peace. Whatever, whatever anyone says, whatever whatever happens to you this week or next week or next month or this year, you can know peace. You will know what it means to have certain peace in uncertain times. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times in every way and may the Lord be with you all. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, again, we thank you for this peace. Thank you for being the God of peace. Thank you for knowing peace as you do, as an almighty God who is not surprised by anything, who is all-powerful, who is everywhere at the same time, who is all-knowing. Lord, we know that nothing surprises you, nothing startles you. You are not made squeamish by anything that occurs. Lord, you are so great and majestic and powerful, and you alone can have peace. The rest of us, we can scramble for it. We can try our best to manufacture it. We could do our, our, our best deeds to try and earn it and still fall infinitely short because we don't know what tomorrow brings and we are scared by so many things. But God, you are not. You are God. And you have offered us your peace, a peace that transcends understanding, a peace that defies all logic a peace that can only come from you, and you have offered it to us as a gift. And it is readily available from yourself at all times in every way as you are with us. God, I pray that we would not forget these truths as so much happens here on a daily basis as we are startled by so many things that we read in the news, so many things that we see online and on television and read in the newspaper. God, I pray that we would never Never forget that we have peace in you. Fill our hearts with this peace. Remind us of 2 Thessalonians 3.16 and all of these other verses that we looked at today. We know that your word is full of peace. Lord, speak to us. Work in our hearts. May we be those who rejoice always and not those who complain always. Lord, fill our hearts with peace. Fill our minds with anything and everything that is excellent and praiseworthy. And may we be a people who are set apart, a people who stand out in this crooked and depraved and dark generation, people who are not like everyone else, scared to death of what might happen next. But let us be firm and resolute. Let us be people of peace, people of faith, people who endure. Lord, give us the grace that we need for the days ahead. We love you. We praise you. We thank you for this tremendous gift. 
In your precious and holy name, amen.